Amen, church. Good morning. Oh, it's a bright and beautiful Northern California Sunday. Got some uh, few clouds in the sky, but no rain, huh? No rain. We're here. It's good. Um, well, I take it everybody made the most of the Christmas they had, right? Not your typical Christmas celebration, but... Uh, we persevere, we press on, we find whatever joy we can find in it in Christ, because uh, that, again, is the whole reason why we celebrate it. But it's so beautiful that even though the holiday of Christmas is coming gone, we know as Christians, this is a lifestyle. So we don't ever have to, you know, get rid of, you want to sing Christmas songs in February. I mean, it's, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, go right ahead. That's fine. That's a that's a good thing. It's that's something to uplift your your spirits and your countenance, knowing that the God of all creation gave the one thing that could redeem your soul and my soul, and we could be counted, we could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ instead of our wretchedness when we go before a holy and true God one day. So that's a great praise. Beautiful songs, beautiful songs picked today and so fitting. Before I start, I just wanted to, uh, to thank you guys again. I was not expecting a gift. <laughs> and Christy, I was messaging Christy on Slack with the ministry of stuff. And she's like, oh, you got a box that should be coming, the, whatever, the other day. And uh, I was like, all right, I think I already know what it is. How Lou said, this is this gold. <laughs> it's heavy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I opened it and I was like, oh, it's great, you know. Uh, you know, a, a great commentary on the whole book of Revelation. So, you know, we'll, we'll see the uh, Lord's will uh, if the Lord tarries and, you know, we actually finish up and get through the book of Acts. That is the, the next book that I do sense the Lord showing us we need to go through. So that's going to, and who knows how long that's going to take, but um, it's going to be a blessing. So thank you very much, everyone, for, for that gift. Um, I, I appreciate it. And um, you're, you're keeping me accountable to continue to continuing studying uh, God's Word. I love studying and reading. Um, I was up uh, the other night. I couldn't. Uh, it was Christmas Christmas Eve, and Kalos was, you know, he's just wired about, you know, getting up in the morning and this and that. And, you know, me and Veronica were hanging out for a while, and then she went to bed, and it was like 2.30 in the morning. I was like, I need something to eat. I can't, I can't sleep. And um, I found myself in one of those commentaries, uh, not the, the Revelation one, but one of the J. Vernon McGee commentaries. And it was good. It was just cool. You know, sometimes you need that, just that, that time where it's just you and the Lord and, uh, you know, you're, you're reading, he's speaking to you, you're, you're getting revelation and understanding of, of what God's word is revealing to your heart. And so um, just precious times, you know, precious times. Um, other last bit of house, uh, house cleaning things, uh, your year end statements should be, uh, I do believe we have until the end of January. So Christy should be sending those out. She, she, uh, typed up a letter and all that it just needs to be mailed out so look out for that in the upcoming weeks uh, if you need that for your your taxes and whatnot all right with that uh, we will be in acts chapter 20 this morning we'll be going through verses 13 through 24 this is kind of a two-part series because as i went through this portion of scripture it's kind of lengthy so i chopped it up um, so we'll be going through verses 13 through 24. So when you get there, uh, whether you're on your handheld device or your you know, paperback Bible, if you could stand real quick. And we'll go ahead and read the word and I'll pray and we'll get into the message this morning. And please forgive me if um, I try my best to try to get these, uh, <clears throat> these places pronounced correctly in the text. All right, so Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 24 and it reads but going ahead to the ship we set sail for Assos intending to take Paul aboard there for so he had arranged intending himself to go by land and when he met us at Assos we took him on aboard on board and we went to Mytilene thank you and sailing from there, we came the following day, opposed Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. 
for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to uh, Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came, God bless you, to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I live among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shriek from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that reveals your desire for mankind. And as we crack open your word this morning, may you speak to our hearts. May you penetrate, Lord, those areas where we are reluctant to receive the counsel of your word. And may you comfort us in areas where we desperately need your comfort. May we not take upon the weight of this life upon our own shoulders, but may we take your yoke upon us for you're the only one that can carry the burdens that we carry in our lives. Father, may you speak to us now. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So I titled this message, Humility, Tears, and Trials. That's kind of what I got out of the heart of this portion of Scripture. Today we're going to look at Paul's next steps in his missionary journey. He was on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, he was trying to get there, as the, the, the text says. He was trying to get there before or on the day of Pentecost to go ahead and celebrate there in Jerusalem. Uh, now we know that it says on his way he sent for the elders of the church of Ephesus. He wanted them to come to him so he could speak to them again one last time. It was, a, it was a, important that he, uh, he got this message out to them and he penetrated, that the Holy Spirit penetrated their hearts that it would leave a lasting impression upon these elders of the church in Ephesus so they could continue on in the ways of the Lord. There was important instruction that uh, these elders needed before Paul left, and so he called for them to come and join him once more before he left for Jerusalem. This conversation he had with the elders from the church, this, that's going to be the focus of our message. Everything that Paul spoke there. We'll, we'll briefly go over kind of the, the route he took and all that. But, but, the, but the most important part, the, the, the main parts is going to be uh, what he said to the elders at Ephesus. Humility, tears, and trials. Now these, 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 these things, these phrases were, were key themes in Paul's ministry. In his life, this is what he experienced many times over. Humility tears and trials but when you really look at paul's life this really stems from jesus christ himself our savior as his life truly embodies all of these themes coming into this broken world to save man's soul the lord jesus christ went through many had many trials many tears he shed humility he is humility christ is the person of jesus christ is humility so this is the true reason why we see Paul's life affected in a similar way, because he was a true follower of Christ. Any true Christian worth their salt will see these same three themes run throughout their walk with Christ. You're going to see it. You're going to see a level of humility in your heart grow over time as you walk with the Lord. You are going to have tears. Sometimes they're, cheer, they're tears of joy. 
Other times they're going to be tears of sadness and sorrow and, and, and grief. But you're going to have tears and you're going to have trials. That is a mainstay in the Christian life. If someone ever told you become a Christian and your life is going to be a bed of roses, that's a lie from the pit of hell because we know that's not the case. We have three main points that we'll focus on this morning. And the first one is this. It starts here. Humility. As I was studying, I I found the biblical definition as from the King James Version uh, or the King James uh, Version, the dictionary from from there. And it's it reads uh, humility is this freedom from pride and arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. In theology, humility This is still the the definition. In theology, humility consists in lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. This is at the heart of conversion, is humility. Without humility, it's very difficult for any individual to say that they've actually been converted and been born again. Humility is a big part of that, but you need conviction to play in it. It's, it, it all plays together. Well, what do I mean by this? Conviction of one's sin must, in, must occur in order for an individual to be saved, right? We can't say we're saved, and we can't say that we've been born again without conviction. Rebirth or regeneration can only occur where there is true conviction of one's own sin. And this can only occur if one is humble. One humbles himself before the mighty hand of God, right? We see this in Paul's life. You look at him on the Damascus road, how he was as Saul and what happened to him. He didn't, conviction comes before humility. He didn't humble himself. He was was convicted. He was confronted by the voice of Christ, conviction set in. He recognized who Christ is. He recognized who he is apart from Christ. He recognized his sin in the sight of the Lord Christ, and that conviction caused humility. So we see this effect take place. I think if you look at your own life, you look at your own conversion experience, when you were truly converted, conviction played a major role, right? Because if not, It would be like Moses telling the Israelites, you stiff-necked people. (laughs) You stiff-necked people like a a wild horse unwilling to be broken, right? We have to be willing to be broken by the Lord. And in that breaking, that conviction, that humility, it's from there that the Lord now can do a mighty work in our lives. And we've all experienced that in our Christian walk at the beginning. Amen? Amen. All right. Humility is a core characteristic of the Christian life. Proverbs chapter 15 tells us before honor is humility. We cannot think we will be lifted up and elevated to do any kind of work for the Lord until we come to a place of lowliness and humbleness before him. And not before man, not before any of us sitting here, but I'm talking about you alone with the Lord. Right. Because those tears are, are real. I'm not saying that tears here aren't real, but we know it's real raw when ain't nobody around and you over here whooping it up. And you get, you're like, Lord, you know, I'm sorry, forgive me. I, I recognize the sin in my heart. I hate the sin in my heart. I hate the wretched man that I am. But Lord, create in me a new heart. Make me more like Jesus, right? Those kind of conversations, those kind of thoughts, those kind of feelings that you project to the Lord in the privacy of your, your relationship with him, that's what's going on. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what needs to happen in, in, in order for us to, to be elevated, not so we can be praised, but elevated so we could do a great service for the Lord and a great work and praise him all the more with our lifestyle, the way we live. We must understand that humility is an act of submission, right? To humble yourself before the mighty hand of the Lord That's submission. That's something that this world does not teach the least bit. It's if you submit, you are weak. 
you're weak. You're going to get ran out of the corporate world if you submit. You're supposed to be a savage like the, what is it, the Wolf on Wall Street, the old uh, Di- DiCaprio movie. Just be a savage. Lie, cheat, swindle, connive. Do whatever you got to do to make it to the top because that's going to show that you are hard. And then you're going to have people fearing you and working for you. That's what the world teaches. God's word is completely different. Submit. The thing is, submit to those worthy of submission. Well, yeah, it's crazy because, yeah, if you have a boss that's not right, you are supposed to submit because that's your thing. But if he's telling you to do or she's telling you to do something that's outside of the will of God and the word of God, then you don't need to submit. Right. That's what we're going to. We're going through this with this whole pandemic and what the government's telling us to do. We're doing our best as believers in Christ to abide by the mandates of the Santa Clara County. But the minute that they get out of line and start telling us that we can't worship God, then, okay, now we're going to have to, you know, it's going to get a little more, more hairy when that happens. But again, submission, humility is an act of submission. If we are unwilling to submit our lives under the mighty rule of God, there will be no humility. There won't. Humility, again, this is not something that you talk about, right? Because a lot of times people will say, well, I'm humble, or this and that, and, and we speak about these things. But you see, humility is, is a verb. It's an action word. It's something you do. There's motion put to it, right? I can sit up here all day and preach, but if in the quietness of my own home, if I'm not submissive to the Lord, if I'm not loving my wife like Christ loves the church, If I'm not teaching my kids and raising them up in the way of the Lord, not by just the Bible teaching, but by my actions, how am I, how am I relating to them? What am I doing with my time? If those things don't correlate, I don't care how much I stand up here or any other pastor or any other Christian says they're humble. They're not humble. There's no humility there. Humility is shown through your actions. Maybe other people. I think the best bet for us is that's a, that's a daring task. Ask somebody close to you. Am I humble? (laughs) <laughs> and then we'll get we'll get a probably we'll get a, a better answer because by our own estimate we kind of view ourselves as oh you know I'm, I'm pretty good I'm okay I'm you know but then the people close to us they're going to have a better take on are these things really true do these things really translate to our personal relationships with other people all right the second main point is this being led by the holy spirit Versus being led by our own understanding. We have to understand there's a clear distinction. There's a dividing line between being led by the Holy Spirit and being led by my my own intuition. What I think is right. What I believe is to be good. And what the Holy Spirit's showing me to do. Many times during Paul's ministry, he was led into situations by the Holy Spirit that he would have never normally gone into on his own intuition. He was led by the Holy Spirit, not by himself. Like the rest of us, without the Holy Spirit, Paul would have been walking by his own sight, not by what the Spirit of God was directing him to do or where he was to go. The reality is simply this, and we know this as as students of the Word. God's ways are not our ways. So if we are walking by faith and not by sight, then we're going to be led into a lot of situations where they don't make logical sense to us, but we're compelled to go because of the Holy Spirit's promptings. I'm sure everyone here has many examples of a time or times when you've been led into situations and you're like, this does not make sense to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to go do this. And you go and you're faithful and you're blessed by it. Because... The Lord has a greater purpose to mold us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. This is why we're led into situations where we're like, I don't get it. Or it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because, again, in order to, you know, shape us, right? Uh, You know, a classic sculptor, one of the sculptors in Rome, what would they do? They get a marble slab and they would just chisel away, right? They chisel away at this marble slab and create a beautiful work of art, just a beautiful depiction of, you know, a human or whatever it was, right? That's the same thing that the Lord's doing in our lives. He, he has to, he has to nick away. He has to take that pick and that hammer and cut away 
at all these things that don't belong there. He's molding and shaping us into the image of His Son, Jesus. And in that molding and shaping, that's where these situations come up that are tough, that hurt, that are painful, that are difficult, that are challenging, right? Things where we really have to rely on the Lord because you can't rely on your own intuition or your own instincts because that's not good enough. You need a supernatural move to come upon your life to help you understand what's going on so you can make some sense of it and follow. And that's what is going on in this. All the affliction Paul would suffer, he suffered for the sake of the Lord. It is true that we will all suffer for Christ to some extent. Some of us more than others, but either way, if you're walking your walk with the Lord genuinely, you are going to suffer for Christ. It's part of the lifestyle that we live. But the reality, this is the caveat here, folks. The reality is this. It's better to suffer for Christ for a season rather than to not suffer for, with Him or for Him, but eternally suffer apart from Him in hell, right? I mean, it's so much better. You might go through difficult times. You're going to go through difficult times in this life. But even if you lived, what is the, what is the cap? What, Daniel, when did they cap it? What, in Genesis, 120? Was it, was the, okay. You're not going to live more than 120 years. I don't care how much biotechnology and all the stuff they got going on in 2020. So when you, when you, when you face 120 years against eternity, I'd rather be with Christ struggling through 120 years then go without them trying to get all I can. Like uh, we were talking earlier, like James Vernon McGee said, people squeezing the juice out of an orange trying to get all they can out of this life because they know after they die, they're going to face eternal judgment or they don't even know, but they know there's some kind of sense of something or someone out there they're going to be held accountable to and they don't want to live right now. They want to live their life how they want to now and get everything they can now, but that's it. All you're going to get is 120 years at most. So why don't you thug it out now Deal with the difficulties now. Have an eternal rest forever. How Michelle said, we're going to all sing. We ain't going to need no auto-tune. It's all going to sound great. It's going to be beautiful. Maybe it won't be some naked babies on, on a cloud with a heart, but it's going to be something great, right? And that's what it's going to be. So that's our position in Christ is we, we suffer now, but we know eternally we're going to have that peace. And that's what we're striving for in the sense of wanting to finish that race like Paul said. As we get into that, we got the lawnmower background. All right. It's all good. They're taking good care of the shrubs. We need that. Make it look beautiful. All right. A perfect example of this, of following the leading of the Holy Spirit, is what we see in Paul. An example on the other side of, of someone who did not follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit and got in a whole bunch of trouble. One example, King Saul. Remember? <laughs> it was going down. You know, he's got his armor on. He's got his soldiers. I mean, they're, they're hand-to-hand combat. I mean, you know, guts are coming out. People are getting stabbed. People are getting beheaded. People are getting killed. It, it's a fight, you know? It ain't like a gun where you just get shot once and it's all good and you're done. I'm talking about you get, right? Anything that goes in, it's got to come out. And when it comes out, it rips. I'm sorry for being graphic, but I'm just trying to paint the picture. So this is what's going on. He's scared. He's frantic. He's waiting for Samuel because Samuel's supposed to do the sacrifice. He's getting frantic because Samuel ain't here. Samuel ain't here. I'm, I, I don't know what to do. He's stressing out and he goes ahead and he does the sacrifice himself. Was he supposed to do that sacrifice? No, he's not a priest. He did not have the authority to. And in that, because he didn't follow the Holy Spirit's promptings, we all know his whole situation unraveled. It was never good after that for him. I mean, it's clear, right? Be obedient, no matter how difficult. I, I know we've been in situations, maybe not when we're hand-to-hand -hand combat and having to kill somebody, fend for our lives, but we've been in situations where we're frantic. It's scary, right? I will never say that the things that we go through are not scary. Oh, just have faith. No, have faith, but they are scary, right? But we have to remain obedient, folks. We have to remain obedient. Don't just, don't just duck out, right? Don't just denounce the name of Christ because something, it's getting hectic, it's getting crazy. They're coming to your door. They're not, you know, there's people over in the Middle East, right? They, if, they, if they say, I believe in Jesus Christ, they line them up in a row. They either shoot them, they cut their heads off, or they imprison them. No bread, no water. 
difficult situation, cockroaches everywhere, no running water, it sucks, right? No toilet paper, I mean, you just in the thick of it. Do not denounce Christ. Do not go out like Saul. Do not turn your back and, and, and try to get out the easy way because it's difficult, right? We haven't faced that yet, but we don't know when that situation is going to come in our lives. Or maybe we are going through that in a, you know, psychological way or an emotional way, right? Don't give in, right? That, that's actually even crazier and scarier because emotionally you can get led astray by satanic influences. Do not let those things lead you astray. Stay grounded on the rock of Christ. All right, the third main point is this. The desire to finish your race strong in the Lord. We again see this great example of Paul emulating Jesus Christ. It's all about enduring trials and remaining faithful to the calling God has on your life, that God has on my life. Paul came to understand that he would suffer greatly in this life for the sake of the gospel. But the thing was, he didn't shy away from it. He embraced it. I was watching, uh, I was watching NFL Live this morning on ESPN. They did a segment on Mike Tomlin. If you don't know who he is, he's the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has this saying, in the kitchen, they talk about it. They're talking about the Tomlinisms or whatever. He's got all these little phrases he's saying. He's, he's saying, as the football goes, they don't run away from the kitchen they run into the kitchen this analogy is everything goes down in the kitchen if you're a, if you're a cook if you're a chef you know everything good goes down in the kitchen right it could get hairy it could get crazy ovens could burn this and that but the other side of it is a good side where all the good stuff happens he's basically saying they don't run from the kitchen they run into it when paul's talking about here finishing the race he knew that he was going to face all kind of difficulties but he embraced it he didn't run from the adversity he was going to face he didn't run from the difficulty he didn't run from these people that wanted to kill him he ran to them he looked at it like you know what i can be a vessel used to pray for these people and maybe maybe they can be saved by you know, the Lord working through my life instead of being like, no, these people want to kill me. Forget it. I'm not praying for them. I don't want nothing to do with them. I mean, you think about it, you know, he did it over and over again. And this is a great example to us of how we are to be. You look at Christ. Obviously, he's the greatest example, right? He went to the cross despising the shame. He's the God of all creation. He created this earth. He created this universe. He created everything in it. He didn't have to stoop down to our level and take on flesh as a man to save us. He didn't have to do it, but he ran to it. He was willing to do it. He didn't run away from it. It's a great example of us finishing our race, having to finish our race and doing it well, doing it with a joyful heart. That's the other thing, right? That's another sub point. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it with a bad heart. You're better off not doing it at all. Nobody wants you to do a good deed if you're snickering about it and you're all bitter about it in your heart. <laughs> I got it's just it's crazy what's been going on in my household. I feel like this whole message has been tailored around, you know, dealing with my son this week. But it's all good. You know, he's 5 years old, but it, it's it's just it's interesting to see these things come up. All right. Let's go ahead and get into these first few verses and it says, "But going ahead to the ship we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so we had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on a board and we went to... Daniel, help me with that word, please. M-I-T-Y-L-E-N-E. -E. There you go, Middling. And sailed from there, we came the following day, opposed Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. <clears throat> Thank you. Verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastened to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay. All that to be said, we pick up the account of Paul here on his journey. Last, remember, we have record of him. He revived... Uh, uh, ay, 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 sorry. The young man. 
Eticus. So hard with these names. All right. He took a shortcut. After he was done with him, he took a shortcut. He wanted to go <clears throat> to Assos, but he apparently wanted to go by foot. It was understood that if he went by foot, he probably would encounter different people along the way. He would still be able to witness. And so this was the main reason that he decided to take that route. After he took that route, he ended up meeting them uh, <clears throat> at Assos, and then they went on board the ship. Paul decided to sail past Ephesus. So now we're at the part where he wants to sail past. He wants to get to Jerusalem because he wants to get there in time for Pentecost. His intention wasn't to ignore Ephesus or the people there, but he knew that it would be impossible for him to just kind of go there for a little bit and that's it. That's like when you, you know, you have a good friend. Um, you know, one of my aunts came by yesterday and, you know, she may have wanted intended to, to not stay long, you know, we're outside hanging out, but, but it, you know, with someone you love, someone you're close to, you're going to stay for a bit. It's easy for time to just go. And that's kind of the situation here. Paul knew if he stopped there, time was just going to go on and on and on. He wouldn't be able to get to Jerusalem in time. So that's where he said, you know what? I'm going to call for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come meet me. Let's have a meeting point. And that's where we're going to talk. And this is where the, the first part of the bulk of our message takes place and next week we'll we'll talk we'll talk about the second part so this is what the heart of the message is once they meet up at this new meeting ground this is what 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 went on excuse me and what happened so going on to verses 18 through 21 it says and when they came to him he said to them speaking of the the elders in ephesus you yourselves know how i live lived among you the whole time from the first day that i set foot in asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I decided not shriek from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this first part, it says, when they had come to him, he said to them, so if you look at Acts, most of the time in the book, Luke writes about Paul as an evangelist. He doesn't really write and speak about him as a pastor. But here we get to see the importance of his role as a leader and a shepherd of God's people. This is the only speech uh, that Paul gave to the early Christians that, Luke's re- that Luke has recorded. But it's interesting, if you look at this and you look at the all other Pauline books that Paul wrote, The theme is the same. You see so many striking similarities. Humility, tears, trials. This is a a theme that is congruent all throughout the other letters that Paul wrote. He says, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Paul first calls his attention to himself as an example. Not as an example instead of Christ, again, but an example as a follower of Christ. The application for us is this. Our lives should be like this as well because we don't know, we may be the only Jesus some people see. The lifestyle we live, the way we deal with adversity, the, de- the way that we deal with being elevated, our, our level of humility, the way people see that, that may come across that's either going to bring someone closer to Christ or break someone and say, you know what, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I mean, many people probably have said, I'll go on and I'll say it doesn't matter. Someone like Creflo Dollar that's saying, I need, I, I, I mean, I need this big old jet. For what? For someone who's unstable in their spiritual walk. That, them seeing that, because I've had conversations with people who said, this is why I don't, this is why I don't do Christ. This is why, this is why I don't trust Christians. Y'all are fake. You got pastors buying million dollar jets while people are dying and saying it's all good because the Holy Spirit told me that. What? The Holy Spirit didn't tell him that. But you see, if you're not stable in your faith, that could break you. I'm saying that all to say this. That man's That man's walk with the Lord, it has an effect on people. Your walk with the Lord, my walk with the Lord has an effect on people. If we want to be an effective witness, we need to recognize that and make sure, obviously, 
in private, that's what integrity is, that we're doing the right things when we're in private, where no one can see us, when it's just us and the Lord. But when we're amongst people, right, we're still living in a way that's honoring God so that, you know, because a lot of times people don't want to be preached to. They don't want to hear that, but they're looking at you. They're looking at me. They're seeing how we live. They're seeing the choices we make. And if you're making choices that align with the Bible, they may be more inclined to listen to you when you do open your mouth and speak. But if you're living one way, if you're living like hell on Saturday and Sunday, and then talking about Jesus the other days, that doesn't make sense. It's not a good witness. So that's what we see here with Paul. He wanted to be a good witness, and he was emulating Christ. Paul didn't act like a religious celebrity and expect people to serve and honor him. He just wanted to serve the Lord with all humility. Again, this is our first point, humility. We see this best in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, the fact that he came into his own creation. He stood, stooped down to our level. He was allowed himself to be born of a woman, to take on human flesh, and to live amongst us, that's, that's, I don't have any words to describe that other than incredible. It's unheard of. But it's precisely the main reason why Jesus Christ can be a stumbling block to many. But let me clarify what I mean by that here. I'm not saying that Christ himself causes an individual to stumble. But it rather is the pride, the lack of humility within one's heart that causes them to stumble over Christ because they can't recognize it. They can't see how he's the one who would do that. They say, well, isn't there something I got to do? You can't just tell me I just got to believe and have faith in Jesus and receive salvation as a gift and my soul's going to be saved. There's got to be something I got to do. There's got to be some kind of work that I got to do. I got to earn favor with God. Don't I got to prove that I'm a good person? And it, he becomes a stumbling block to those who can't see. They, but again, it's because they cannot humble themselves and receive that gift. I don't know if you've ever met someone or if you know someone personally where they can't accept love. They can't accept a gift. They can't accept a kind gesture. They have a hard time. They're, oh, no, 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 I don't need it. Oh, I don't need it. You know they're hurting. You know they need, whether it's a monetary thing or they need some emotional thing like a hug or a kind gesture, but they cannot accept it. They just can't. And that's what we're talking about here, is those who can't accept Christ for who he is, he becomes a stumbling block to them, and they cannot, they just don't get it. They, uh, they, they lack the humility. They lack the conviction to humble themselves before the mighty hand of the Lord. Again, when we speaking of Paul, he looked at his service to the Lord as a great honor, knowing who Paul was outside of Jesus Christ and to have Jesus to come and save him and set him apart for a service to do a great work from him. This was a very humbling thing for Paul to experience. Think about it. This was the man who walked around or rode around and had Christians murdered and killed, right? He was the one who was holding the coats of the men that stoned Stephen, the first martyr. So for him to go from that to now he is totally abandoned that lifestyle and he's willing to sacrifice his own life for the sake of Jesus Christ, that is nothing short of amazing and a miracle. Only the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, only the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit can do that. You take someone who was strung out on some kind of substance or living a certain lifestyle for so many years, and all of a sudden they have a changed heart. There's a changed direction in their lives. That's the work, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. There was a conviction and a humbleness that occurred to allow that individual to come to this place that they are now in. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 tells us, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. We know that. The Bible is clear that <clears throat> this will take place. So we need to have a humble understanding of who we are and who Jesus is and allow him to come in and do the work in our hearts that he needs to do. The Lord is clear that he will not work through pride, only humility. But what we really need to know is how does humility come about? It's not a magic formula. It's not abracadabra. It's not 
Let me whip it up. Let me try to muster up humility. That's not how it works. You're just going to get burned out, right? Trying to do all these good deeds. It's not what it is. Again, what I touched on earlier, I think this is a very important this is a, a very important thing for us to always remember as believers in Christ. Conviction is so important. If you feel, if you sense conviction in your heart throughout things that go on in the week, that's a good thing. When your heart waxes cold and your conscience waxes cold to the things of God and you no longer sense conviction and you're able to do things and say things that are contrary to the Word of God and it just rolls off your back like water on a duck, that's a serious problem. You're, in a, you're on a slippery slope if you can do anything against God's word and it doesn't prick your heart. If it pricks your heart, praise God that you have conviction, that he's blessing you with conviction to fall upon your life because he chastens those he loves. And conviction is a big part of that. So the next time you sense conviction, it's okay. That means that's another sign, that's another stripe that you're his. You have that guarantee Man, Lord, even in, your, even in your convicting hand, you're gentle and you're loving and you're kind to me. You love me so much that you're willing to convict me and not just let me go, right? A parent that says, I don't care, lets their kid do whatever they want. They don't love them. If you love them, you're going to step in. And when you have a mature love, which I'm trying to get to, you, you, you step in with that, that, that kind of wise, gentle. I see Lou as someone like that. I don't see Lou as someone who's losing his mind when something goes crazy. But he's, he's got years of experience and wisdom to where he probably just is able to go in and, you know, say those few words and the kids get it, right? But that's because he's led by the Holy Spirit, led by the love of Christ. You have to discipline those you love as Christ disciplines us. Until a person responds to the conviction of sin brought about by the Holy Spirit, there will be no humility and ultimately no conversion or change. That's why psychologists... Though they may be good in some instances, therapy, self-help, even a 12-step group, it only goes so far. It can only go so far. You can participate in any of those things and seem better. You and I, if you had a drug problem or a drinking problem, you can stay sober for 40 years. But what about that hole in your soul? Staying off booze is good if that's a stumbling block for you. But what about the hole in your soul? Only the convicting, transforming work of Jesus Christ can complete you as a person. Without Christ, you and I will remain incomplete as a person no matter how much you seem to have it together or how much you have accomplished without Him by the world's standards. See, that's a big problem and that's seeped into the church as well is that we tend to judge ourselves by the world's standards. Don't judge yourself by how much money you make. Don't judge yourself by the house you live in. Don't judge yourself by the car you drive or the clothes you wear. Don't judge yourself by the bracket that you seem to be in with the taxes. That's not the basis of who you are. That's not, right? It's so much easier for a poor person that does not have a lot of the things of this world to receive Christ than for someone who has it all because all those things are just filters that the Holy Spirit's got to get through. Because when I got a lot of money, I can just throw money at it. All my problems, just throw money at it. But when you don't got no more money, when you got a lack of resources, <laughs> you got to rely on Jesus. You know, it's either that or the government for, you know, your, your, your subsidized, uh, you know, housing and whatnot. But again, this is the importance of having that relationship, right? Having that relationship, growing your relationship with the Lord, being bound to him, bound to the Lord. The application for our lives is this. In a similar pattern, we can each be good examples of how to live the Christian life. There's really no reason for us not to be. We should be emulating. We should be reflecting the light of Christ to the world around us. Even a young Christian, even a child, can be a great example of how people should follow after Jesus. And many times, we as adults are convicted you know, I was talking about Kalos in a bad light earlier, but many times in my household, I'm convicted by the things my son says or the things I see him do. And it's like, wow, Lord, that is, I mean, it's real. Honor him by how you live before men and in private. All right, next we see Paul make this statement. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. 
Paul can solemnly say before the elders of the Ephesian church that he kept back nothing that was helpful. He didn't only teach the topics that pleased him. He proclaimed it all. See, this is another big problem that we see in the church today. Is people only want to talk about certain things. They don't want to teach the entirety of the Bible. They don't want to, they say, oh, you know, it's not about the Old Testament. It's about, it's about the New Testament and grace. You see all the elements in Scripture all throughout, from the beginning of the Bible to the end. You know, you see it all throughout. You need, as they say, you need a whole Bible to make a whole Christian, right? You, you need that. People that are afraid to talk about sin, pastors that don't want to teach sin from the pulpit, they don't want to call it what it is. They want to call, you know, they want to call adultery a fling or something else. Call it what it is. Call it what it is so we can get to the heart of the matter and people can, can get corrected and people can be restored. You cannot be restored if you don't acknowledge that sin is sin. It's not a little white lie. There's no such thing. A lie is a lie. If you're being untruthful, you're being untruthful. We need to be real about that, right? When I may seem passionate about it this morning. It's not just the mask and me having to talk over the, the dumb car wash or whatever, but there's liberty there's liberation when we deal with the heart of the matter and the fact is we live in a fallen world we're fallen creatures sin has taken over and got its grasp and its clutches on us and so we got to call sin what it is and deal with it that way we can be restored that way we can be free to serve the lord at any capacity and even in a pandemic pandemic you can still have joy don't let this pandemic steal your joy. Don't let this nonsense of what they're saying steal your joy. You can still have the joy of the Lord in your heart despite all these difficult things that we all are going through personally and together as a corporate part of the body. How many times have you and I held back something not being fully truthful to the other person because we didn't want to offend them? <laughs> right? Oh, I'm not going to be, I, I, I can't, I just, I just want to be offended. I don't want to be offended. You know what? I would rather offend somebody now and see them not go to hell eternally than keep my mouth shut and be like, oh, I didn't even say nothing. And now the opportunity that the Lord could have used for, for me to be, for him to use me to speak into someone's life so they, they could get a glimpse of, you know what? I don't want to go down that road. It, it, got, it got lost because I didn't say something, right? We have to think about it and really consider, is it worth it to keep our mouth shut? Sometimes it is, but there's other times we need to speak up and we don't because we are afraid of offending someone else. The word of the Lord is offensive. The Bible is offensive. Just call it what it is. Nobody wants to say that. It's offensive. It's offensive to those who are true, truly living ungodly lives and don't want to be changed because they want to live their best life now. They don't want to be accountable. They don't want to have to uh, be reconciled to a true and living God because they feel like they're going to lose all these things they've accumulated and amassed for themselves, right? We put ourselves as God. We make ourselves God. If we make ourselves God, we determine what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. But if we say, no, there's somebody else out there that's greater than I, that means it comes back to humility, I got to humble myself. I got to say, I may be wrong. And I don't want to do that because I don't want to give up these things that I like. See, that's, that, that's the thing that goes on in life. We have to get to a point and a place where we're like, we're okay with God being God. Let him be God. Let him be God. I don't, I don't want to be God. I don't want to be responsible for all these people. I can't, it's hard enough to be responsible for my wife and two kids. And they're only five and one. Be responsible for a gang of people? That's just, that's too much. That's too much. All right, next we see that Paul testified to the Jews and the Greeks. He didn't limit his message. He didn't limit his message because if he limited his message, he would have limited the audience he could have spoke to. He wanted to speak to all that the Lord put before him. He wanted to preach all the word of God to all people. The application is this. This should be our hearts as well. This is the great commission to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. For us, that means anyone in our sphere of influence. And this is exactly what Paul did from house to house. This implies that the Ephesian church, it lacked a building. It didn't have what we have, right? It didn't have it. It was organized. 
locally in house churches. Probably each elder had charge of you know certain houses and they would meet in different households. That's how it went. These were much more like house church pastors. They weren't. They were house church pastors. They weren't what we think of today when you think of a church board and this and that and everyone's got to take a vote. And I'm not to say that that's wrong. Um, there's an element of that, that that obviously needs to take place. You don't want the pastor making decisions by himself. There should be, he should have other men that are credible that he can confide in and they're all seeking the Lord on the same matter. But the main thing is this, the church is a living organism. It's not an organization, right? When we choke the Holy Spirit out of the church, all you have is a social group. If you come here and the Holy Spirit ain't here, you're wasting your time. Because I don't want to kick it with y'all if the Holy Spirit ain't here because it's pointless. You know what I'm saying? It is. I'm, I'm just being real. It's pointless. We want the church to be an organism that's living, vibrant, breathing, growing, right? Not an organization where everything is so sterile and mundane. And, you know, it's just crazy. Some churches where it's like, dude, I can pay for that seat. And I can have, I can have my name on a plaque. And that's my seat. And that's where I go. Didn't, didn't Jesus talk about that where it's like, dude, you got, you got somebody who's rich and you say he comes in and you offer him this nice chair. You got somebody that's broke down, don't smell good, looks a little dirty, and you're like, you're like homie, you got to stay over there. I don't watch you. And, and I get it. Maybe in the pandemic, people are like, you got to stay. But, you know, the whole principle is don't be a respecter of persons, man. That rich person should be just as respected as this poor person. If anything, you should probably try to help out that poor person and get him some stuff because he don't got nothing. But yet we see this going on. We, and that, that all points back to it's not an organization, man. We're not trying to look pity, pretty. There's business that the church has to handle, but we don't operate out of the business of Resilient Life Church. You know, we're blessed with someone like Christy that handles all those kind of things. And when we need Lou's help, we have someone like Lou who has wisdom to do those kind of things. But we don't operate out of the numbers. We don't. We operate out of what the Holy Spirit is showing us and we go with that. And he's actually blessed and sustained us far beyond what we could even imagine because we operate in that way. We're in lack of nothing. If anything, we need to give more because we have more. We have the resources, even as a small group of believers. It's a blessing. There's many churches that are in debt right now that are struggling. We're not struggling at all. We are not in the red at all, at all. And you will see in your statements when they come. Praise the Lord for that. All right, last two verses and we're wrapping it up. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the glory of the grace of God. Here we see what it looks like to truly be led by the Holy Spirit. He said, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what awaits me. Paul didn't know what was ahead of him. He even had reason to believe that there were bad things that awaited him. But that didn't trouble him at all. He could give it all over to God, even when he didn't know what would happen. This shows always that as Christians, we need to be like, none of these things move me. These things don't move me, right? Satan can touch your body. Satan can, 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 can allow, uh, you know, something. Obviously, God, God's overarching thing, he's the one who's sovereign, so he allows it. Let me rephrase myself. But the Lord can allow Satan to work in your life as he did in Job's. But the thing is, Satan can't touch your soul. This body is a finite body that's going to perish. I'm going to get a new glorified body when that day comes. So don't worry about it. Yeah, it may hurt a little bit. I don't know. It may be really painful, but it's only going to last a season. But eternally, forever, your soul can never be touched. You cannot be tampered with by the enemy. And so we need to rest in these things to be able to to say that I will not be moved, right? The application is this. Many times when the Holy Spirit leads us, He's not leading us where there are no problems and life is easy. He's leading us into troubled waters like the disciples in the boat. But think of this. This is the, this is the encouraging thing. They weren't alone. Even though the, the waves tossed to and fro and it was difficult and it was, tre- and it was treacherous, 
Jesus was with them. Where was Jesus? Asleep. Right? Jesus is like, I created this. Don't trip. This, this pandemic, I allowed it to happen. Maybe this is an altar call by the Lord to get people who don't know Christ to get right before he rolls up the scroll and this is all done. Right? Look at it from that perspective. Not what Fox is saying. Not what CNN News is saying. Not even what the president's saying. We pray for the president. But I'm not taking my marching orders from him either. I'm taking it from the Lord. So when we look at it from that perspective, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not gloating because people are dying from the pandemic and this and that. But you're not moved by it to where every waking hour you're stressing, you're stressing out. You know, you're not, we don't need to stress out over these things. Emmanuel, God is with us. Uncertainty did not move Paul. And it should not move us either. Matthew chapter 6 verse 4 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Even though he was not knowing these things that were going to happen to him, he could still sing that psalm in Psalm chapter 16 verse 8 again. I shall not be moved, right? The little kids sing it. I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. And, that, and that's, that's the lifestyle we need to live, not be moved by the things of this world. Next, we see the Holy Spirit testifies. He testifies the Holy Spirit in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await him. Paul recognized the, the dangerous road ahead of him. Apparently, he had some prophetic uh, understanding telling him that danger lied ahead. But yet he was not set off track by the danger. He was willing to lay down his life for the gospel of the grace of God. Question for us this morning. Can we say that our faith is that strong? Are we willing to die for Christ? Am I willing to lay down my life to proclaim Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world? I believe that with the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, that we can. My prayer is that none of us denounce Christ in the face of adversity. That we would be like Paul and be willing to deal with the circumstances as they come, but know that we have a clear vision of doing what the Lord has called us to do. He said, nor do I count my life dear to me. Put it this way. Paul looked at himself as an accountant, weighing carefully the credits and the expenses. And in the end, he does not count his own life dear to him. He compared it to his God and how he can serve him. The last final point is this that I may finish my race with joy. Paul thought of himself as a runner, someone of an athlete, and he used that analogy. Paul, just like us, is called to finish the race with joy. The application is this. There's nothing better than the sense of accomplishment that you get when you complete something. How many of you have started a project, started something, and never finished it? Right? That, that, that's a, it, it's, it's actually psychological, right? It kind of works against you when you don't finish something. It can weigh on your confidence. It can weigh on your enthusiasm. But when you stick it out, when you tough it out, when, 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 when something is long and, and tiresome, but you work through it and you finish it and you complete it, how much satisfaction do you get from that? How much accomplishment do you get from that? Especially when you do it with a good heart. When you do it with the joy of the Lord, you're, it's infectious. And, and this is what Paul is saying. I am going to finish my race and finish it well with the joy of the Lord. Today we have the opportunity to finish strong. Even with death in mind, we can finish strong. We can be led by the Holy Spirit and to do all that the Lord has called us to do. I'll close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says... Yet there used to be a gospel in the world which consisted of facts which Christians never questioned. There was once in the church a gospel which believers hugged to their hearts as if it were their soul's life. They, there used to be a gospel in the world which provoked enthusiasm and commanded sacrifice. Tens of thousands have met together to hear this gospel at peril of their lives. Men to the teeth of tyrants have proclaimed it and have suffered the loss of all things and gone to prison and to death for it, singing psalms all the while. Is there not such a gospel remaining? We need to be encouraged that 
what we live for, what we die for, is for the Lord to get all the glory. Amen? For Him to deserve the praise He deserves. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for just Your Word, Lord, and the encouragement of of Your servant Paul continuing to press on despite the things he knew that lied ahead. Lord, he wanted to serve You faithfully. He wanted to be able to endure all of the trials he would face so he could finish his race strong. Father, as there's many different scenarios here just in this small group of people that the things that we're going through, Father, may you help us to find our strength in you, our joy in you, to finish our race strong, to not give up hope. Maybe we're at a place now where we're desperate, where we're beat up, and it's difficult, Lord. Will you please meet us where we're at today and give us the encouraging hand, the encouraging lift that we need so we could continue so we can finish our race strong. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.